0: Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, we've got a brilliant and brand new intro that you probably just heard. It's a bit more bouncy than before. I mentioned it again last week, and I have to be honest, I've listened to it several times through, even between recording that one and this one, just because I'm so excited about it. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the new intro. For anyone who's not tuned in before, my name's Nick, I'm CEO here at Just Ask Parker, and have been running the podcast for over a year now. So we hit the one year anniversary about two months ago, and we're currently in a very exciting series, something that I've wanted to do for a very, very long time. We just haven't had the right guests, the right opportunity uh, to put it all together. But we're in the middle of it now, which is very, very exciting. And it's all about nailing it for your customers. So last week, we had a real focus on products and product ranges and how we develop those. Today, we've got another very special guest, and I'll introduce him in a second. And we're going to be looking again at a little bit of products and how his product range has sort of developed within his business and and grown and shrunk and changed and when it's been a success, when it's not. Another thing we're going to cover today and something we're probably going to cover quite a bit over the next few months uh, or I say weeks at this stage, but possibly months as well, um, is we're then gonna be looking a little bit about customer interaction and how you engage with customers, what you can learn from them, when you get it right, when you get it wrong, and that sort of thing as well. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. And the last thing I'm gonna shout out really quickly at the start here as well, is we probably won't have an episode next week, I'm afraid, and please don't send me any flowers or cards. My office is overrun, but I'm, I'm actually getting married on the same day this is going out. So when you guys listen to this, I will either be about to get married or I will be a married man. So we're not going to have an episode next week, I'm afraid, because I just haven't got a chance to record it. But we'll be back in two weeks' time with episode three. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce my guest this week. We've had him on before, as we also had, had Jared on before last week as well. His name's Dan Grief, and he runs a brilliant business called Deliciously Guilt Free here in the UK. So, Dan,
1: welcome back to the show. Hey, Nick, what an intro. Woo. Oh, that's uh, flying, isn't it? With all the There's a lot to discuss. bits and the bobs <laughs> and the whiz and woos. I love it. And congratulations on your wedding coming up as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, fantastic news. So I'll, I'll count to the flowers that you don't want then. <laughs> that's embarrassing. We can send some brownies over, which leads me on nicely <laughs> to our first topic. But, uh, beautiful segue, beautiful segue. <laughs> <laughs> Before we
0: do that, do you want to just give us a little overview to yourself? Tell us a bit about the business and, and sort of how you got involved, because I think it's quite an interesting backstory, actually, to, uh, to how you ended up running Deliciously Guilt Free. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cheers Nick. So, okay, so firstly, deliciously guilt-free. We are a brownie company. We also make cakes and we do birthday cakes now and but mostly blondies and brownies, but they are all unique and the fact that they are all less than a couple of grams of sugar and a couple of grams of carbohydrate. In fact, there is kind of less sugar in our cake than there is in a piece of bread you'd have from toast thinking it's a healthy thing. And the reason for that is my wife Bethmore is a doctor. And when she had gestational diabetes with our two children, she wanted to find a way to try to manage the diabetes without having to take insulin for as long as possible. And so she realized diet and was the best way of doing it. And so she effectively managed her blood sugars very well by doing a low-carb diet. But this is the thing I find. A lot of people, they start this way of life. And of course, I do keto and low-carb myself. But occasionally, you want something sweet. And you don't want to have to then have a cheat day and start eating you know, really sugary food again. And so that's where we're there to say, well, you've got the option of having something that's just as good as any other cake you could have. In fact, I'd say better, but it's not going to mess up your blood sugar. And it's it's a really proud moment. In fact, this morning, I was having a phone call with a diabetic customer of ours who was showing us the picture of their blood sugar levels. And there's like no impact. And yet they had a piece of bread. Hence, why I was thinking about the bread analogy, and there's a massive spike. So I was like, that is that's us winning, really. So if you want to have healthy cake, you want to lose weight and feel great. And have a healthy lifestyle you can eat our cake and, and not have to worry whatsoever so it's guilt-free absolutely brilliant and hence the
0: name which i love as well deliciously guilt-free it's um i love that the fact deliciously is like a slightly english
1: uh English word on the top of it, but then, as you say, the guilt-free aspect as well. Can I ask you something, Nick? When was it I was last on? Because I'm wondering if I've told you the rest of the story as to where we were. Was it before Christmas, I think, I was on last? January. I was January. You were the second week in January. I remember it well. Right, okay. So basically, then, I just heard the story of last year in lockdown. We kind of had a complete transformation, really. So, Just Ask Parker, one of the, the arms of your business, I was working with them and they were brilliant and they really helped us when I was working from home. And then there was this kind of complete change. We had one day with just a huge number of orders come in. So we had to try and find somewhere else to take the business. So we went to a cafe that's just shut during lockdown. Uh, It was good for them. It was good for us because they got their rent paid. We had a bigger space. We then went to a soft play this time last year. And then in September, we moved to a a commercial premises where I am now. And then uh, in December, this is kind of weird, then Yahoo Finance contacted me and named me a foodpreneur of the year for 2020, which is just ridiculous. Like, I don't know how that, how that happened lovely, because, lovely, because nice. it was such a, a, a weird nine months. And it just told me that I would be listening to this podcast thinking, well, that's all very well for that person because of X, Y, Z. And actually, I feel like I'm the luckiest person ever, but it could happen to anyone. And I think if I've learned anything to any of your listeners now... It's just work your hardest, try, keep going for it, and it, and it could happen. I'm not saying it definitely would, but it really could, and that's the that's a quite exciting thing about having either a side hustle or this is your main business, whatever it is. Just go for it because it could it could be the answer to all your dreams. What happened to me? I'm trying to sound not so cheesy, but but it's true. It's it's just been an amazing year. Yeah, definitely. And I think one
0: of the things I can vouch for as someone who's run quite a few businesses over the years now is that actually when you have a failure or something doesn't go well, I often find that is the perfect accelerator for success because sometimes it's when it's kind of going mediocre or you don't quite know, that's when you, you're in the unknown. When it's been a failure, a few things change, and one of them being adrenaline, another one being focused, and another one being a, well, now we know exactly what not to do. And sometimes the way to do something correct, if you know all the ways not to do it, um, but equally, you've got a, a disclaimer, you've got a couple all of that with financials and doesn't mean you can just kind of go and keep splashing money that money needs to come from somewhere. So I think, um, yeah, I think as you say, you just got to try, try, try with it before, uh, before you get it to work. So Dan, in a bit more detail then you, you mentioned already about the products, as we're going to start off talking about products today, tell us about your products, like what are they? And what kind of journey have you been on from the very first one, which it sounds like was when your wife was pregnant, What's the journey been from that very first
1: product to the range you've got today? Yeah. So so initially started thinking what flavors do, you know, best and I like to eat, really, that's how it all kind of came about. And I think there's something really honest about that, which when you're a small business, that's quite often how you're starting out because you're thinking, well, I am kind of maybe my ideal customer for my business. So what do I like? And you're not even thinking about it as a business at first. You're just thinking, what do I like to eat and what flavor combinations work? And I think, that's good to certain extent, but then what we did? So we had, for instance, like four main core flavors at first. We had salted caramel. We had the vegan chocolate fudge. God, so long ago! I'm trying to think what they are no, now. You're making me hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is bad. I'm, I'm trying to keep trying to keep my waistline down for for the next <laughs> well, couple of days. That's where my cakes come in. You don't have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, and actually, I've got a story on on that in in a moment. I'll tell you about something. Actually, lost six stone in our cakes uh, and was in a publication. But anyway, nice. There's also like there's a peanut blondie I think we had, and there's another flavor. I'm really struggling to remember them all now. And oh, that's is a chia based brownie that was it which worked absolutely fine for us at home we'd eat it and it was really nice and then when we started selling them and there was an interest we had people saying to us you really should sell these these are these are amazing we then start selling them to people and then we noticed we had like a mold issue with one of them and it was like but we we don't have that at home. Why is it happening in the post suddenly? And that was that was horrifying to me. Like I was sending something out that's gonna be a problem. And so we had to then, you know, get rid of that flavor pretty quickly. The cheer just disappeared. We got rid of it we, overnight, really, and decided that wasn't gonna work. The other flavors that then worked well, and that's where Shopify is so good, you can see how many of each product you're selling. So you're getting that nice data coming in to realize, oh, people quite like this flavor. Now, if they like that one. They might like this one. So then we had things like our Facebook group, Deliciously Guilt Free Chat, where we'd say to them, oh, um, you know, who's interested in this flavor? Do you want to be a taste tester? Or, you know, we'd actually send out little samples and little boxes in somebody's order and say, can you tell us which of these you like? Uh, is this, would this be good in our range? And just got that feedback started so that then the, the flavors developed. And what's really strange for me now, and it's really weird this, I mean, this time last year, in fact, no, this time, in like february um march of this year i was still inventing every single flavor whereas now my business has got to that stage where i'm not in the kitchen as much as i was so now i've got a team of people doing that for me and it's based completely on customer feedback and what we do is we have a restock model so we put our flavors out on a friday at 7 pm we have all the core flavors all the week but we put out these special extra flavors on a friday we then time how long they take to sell so we know roughly how many there are, how many they should be selling within the first three, four hours. And last, for instance, winter, we had one product sell out by one minute past seven. So we were like, right, that one is popular. And we put it up the next week. And then the next week we had people come back to buy it again. And we're like, okay. And it sold out with like four minutes past seven. Other products sell out by Sunday. And you're like, oh, okay. So that's not so popular. So we kind of do that as well, just kind of get a bit of real time feedback as to what people are looking for. And then the other thing I was going to say on top of all that is we just ask them and I'll say, you know, we make our own sugar-free white chocolate now. We started about two weeks ago. We've got a chocolate making machine. We we do it all ourselves. We're like the apple of the cake world. We don't, we don't get stuff brought in. We have to make everything from scratch because you, there just isn't white chocolate out there that's sugar-free that's good enough for us to use. We have to make it ourselves. And so we basically make it ourselves and then said, you know, what do you want? Do you want white chocolate and raspberry, white chocolate and dark chocolate, white chocolate and strawberry? We got their feedback. We just made it. And then they've been going crazy for it.
0: Nice. Nice. Something we talked about last week and you've just touched on it. And I think it's a really important point to talk about, I think, is owning your product and how important that is. We get a lot of companies contacting us, certainly at Parker, that have found a drop shipping feed of products, set up a Shopify store and clicked go. And then come to us going, right, you drive a load of traffic at it and everyone will buy stuff. We're kind of like, oh, it's so difficult because as much as we want the client, we can't just magic traffic to this thing. It's not unique. Yeah. Your profit margins aren't very big, so we can't advertise on Google.
1: You're probably selling it on price as well, like the cheapest price exactly. in the market, which is always hard. And that's gonna eventually get impossible, I reckon, because you always find somebody cheaper than you. Exactly, exactly. Whereas you've you've got completely
0: the opposite. You basically got a I know it's cakes, but you basically got a factory and a manufacturing line at your fingertips. How, how important would you say to somebody thinking of starting a business that owning your product, manufacturing it yourself, or at least owning the supply chain, how, how
1: important would you say that is? Well, I'd say in food, which is kind of the, the industry that I'm now well, not kind of, it is the industry I'm in, yeah. I kind of find that weird <laughs> to think back on. This is My side hustle is now my whole career. It's like, wow, this has come true for me. Amazing. Um, but yeah, it, for me, in, in my industry, I personally believe it's everything, absolutely everything. Yeah. You know, if you, okay, there's, there's several angles on this. So I went to California to a low carb keto conference in 2017. And I was talking to the organizers this week because their conference is again, starting this week. And I thought to myself, okay, I'll talk to them about some of the brands that were there back then, because some of them had disappeared now. And I wanted to know what happened to them. And in this food industry, a lot of those brands basically went to manufacturers and said, can you mass produce my food for me? Now, if you're making like you know, an energy bar with sugar and nuts and carbs in it, or something. I'm, I'm sure it would work out absolutely fine. But for the food that we're making, it's so specialist and it's so niche that when you take it to these big industries, they don't really understand it. And so, unfortunately, some of those brands I met a few years ago went to Walmart and big, big, big companies. They got on the on the shop shelves. And then they had mold issues and stuff because the manufacturer didn't understand the product. We don't use things like preservatives because we're trying to keep the food clean and healthy. We don't just put nasty things in there. We wouldn't feed our own families. So for that reason, manufacturers don't understand that. And the quality goes down and that really hurts your brand. So I'd say from that point of view, it makes sense in a niche to really have control over it. Because you know what I'm offering to people, Like I always think this. People don't buy drill bits. They buy the hole in the wall they want. And I think, okay, so people want to lose weight potentially, or they want to manage their diabetes. They want to. And enjoy eating cake. That's Uh, (laughs) that's one of the biggest things. Yeah. So basically, they've got all these factors they've got, like, which is a problem why they can't eat cake. And then they also want to eat something really delicious and tasty, which is what I'm providing them. So I don't want to mess that up by either the flavor goes down and it's not what it should be, or actually it's not benefiting them there where they need the benefit. So it's like, well, if I I have control myself, then I'm going to make sure I keep my standards and my values. Whereas if I hand it out to somebody, that it could be anyone. And the other thing that's quite scary in the food industry, which might help your listeners, but it wouldn't help somebody like me, is that I've also been told that if I go to a big food manufacturer and say, can you make for me a chocolate bar or something, they could say, yeah, we will. And I'll basically copy someone else's idea and then mix it up a little bit and then give you your own version. Whereas these recipes are like the most precious thing I have because I base everything off them and I develop from them. And so we are learning with our customers what they like to eat. But then I know that the actual, the macronutrient content is exactly where it should be for someone doing keto low carb because that is my pledge, my guarantee with my customer that they can trust me to give them food that's going to be good for their bodies and it's not gonna make them unhealthy
0: an interesting question i think to ask at this point as well is when it comes to marketing and it comes to customers these days people have access to more businesses and options to buy from than ever which means obviously we as marketeers or yourself as a business owner we have to be competitive we have to compete against them there's no hiding away from it you're not the only one in the marketplace you're you're not the only butcher in the village sort of thing, like you would have been hundreds of years ago, or I say hundreds, even 30 years ago. How much more competitive would you say it makes you that you have complete control over what you stock and also the speed in which you can change those product lines as well.
1: Oh, it's, it's everything. It's such a strong part of this business. Uh, to talk about competitors, that's a really interesting point because because of my niche. And you know this is what I understand in my market. I don't know what other markets are like, but certainly in the keto low carb space, there are brands coming through all the time. I mean, every year I'd say it's about another 10 to 20 companies started that I see. Wow.
0: Is that just in the UK? Just, just in your yeah, territory? Just,
1: well, not just in the UK, but mostly I'd say in the UK, probably about half of them are UK based that I see anyway. And I I kind of I'm really surprised by how many come through. And they're quite often where we were about a year and a half ago. They're kind of kitchen table based side hustles, mostly um, making things. Now, there's a huge spectrum of quality in there, which is interesting. And I kind of think now the customers won't necessarily know that. And I think as keto low carb becomes more popular, a bit like veganism's become the last 10 years. You're going to see that brand put on lots of food at the checkout aisle as well. So what makes us different? And that's why I think the competition with ourselves comes in, which is the the one I really believe in. We can always be better than we are today, tomorrow. And I think actually it's making sure we kind of show to the customer that we are always the best and that we understand this stuff. And that's why I run a podcast alongside it. Because if I was just uh, a cake peddler, and I decided one day, oh, you know, I'm going to bring out a vegan cake and then the next day I'm going to bring out a keto cake and the next day I'm going to bring out, I don't know what other types of diet there are, but I'm going to bring out something different. I think that looks like, well, you're going to sell it on price alone then because you're not really into this niche and people in this niche need to be understood. And I feel like the podcast does that because you are like saying to them, come on to my show. I talk to really big profile guests in the in the niche that we're in to show to you that I understand and I am genuine and I know this stuff and I and I think that's the trust that I'm working with. I mean, every business is trust at the end of the day. You know, do you trust them to send you the product? Do you trust them to send good quality products? Do you trust them to uh, you know keep their end of the bargain? And I think the podcast helps me do that. And just a little little hack that I've used actually for SEO with regards to competition. I've actually my most popular blog I wrote was um and it still is to this day and it is the top five keto bakeries in the uk and i list our competitors and the good point about each of our competitors (laughs) with with you at number one of course no i didn't know i put me i didn't put me on the list at all because i thought that looks insecure and it looks like, you know, what I need to do is say, like, these are the top five. I didn't put links to their websites, but I put the top five in there. I mean,
0: as, as your SEO agency, I should know this, honestly. But yeah, 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 yeah. Part, yeah, part yeah. of the thing we'll talk about in a minute is delegation, which is the reason I don't know the answer to we'll that. We'll cut so. this
1: bit. We'll cut this bit, yeah? Nobody's going to hear this ever. It'll be cut. Don't <laughs> um, just put the jingle back on. We love it. Um, so basically, I did that. And then and the reason I did it is because I read the book, They Ask You Answer, by Marcus Sheridan, a really good, really good marketer. And he said, look, people know your competition, so be confident and so say what's good about your competition. And at the bottom, I then said, and if you want to link to what we do, here is our product. We get so much traffic through that. So people are looking up top keto bakeries in the uk they land on my page they feed these different bakeries then they read me being really confident saying i'm happy to talk about my competition I've nothing to worry about and then they buy from me and it works because it's the trust business you know people are coming in saying oh this guy is actually confident enough to talk about his competition and his product it doesn't even list himself he's that confident and then they come and buy from my bakery it's it works fantastically well brilliant i, I also love the kind of grassroots and openness of you like it's it's you
0: doing stuff because you know it's right because you want to do it because you want to develop a new cake etc which is so far from where i think certainly in the sort of b2b world it's just money churning you know it's just yeah. we offer a service because we want to make money it was it wasn't a case of we want to deliver the best tool in the market it was actually we need to make money we want to make money and we're going to have the best tool in the market to do it whereas to you it's an afterthought which means it's probably even more effective for you because Customers like you, they engage with you and they, as you say, you're so open with trust elements. And I can say on a serious note, as an SEO person, Google's looking for websites that can do two things. And this comes from Matt Edmondson, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago. He gave this great kind of philosophy, which we've started using a little bit internally in our business. And it's all about high trust, low trust, high intent, low intent. And that's what Google is looking for. And that is what customers will buy through. So if you get a high trust, high intent customer, it's probably a repeat purchase, they probably know who you are. But if they've got low trust or low intent, you need to think about how can we actually do something on our landing page and our website to change that. I think what you've just described in terms of having this list of competitors with a note saying, come chat to me, I'm totally open about this stuff. That that builds trust. And I think as long as you can find a good way of displaying that within the slightly more traditional customer journey, et cetera, again, it's it's onto a winner. And Google can trust you because you've got good reviews. You've got your social following. You can be reached on the podcast. You're so transparent. It's easy to get hold of you. It's easy to get in contact. And you're very accountable to what you do. And I think if you compare that to what I was saying earlier, which is probably one of the sort of dirtiest types of business in the market at the moment is um, just the generic, and I use the word generic in this, dropshipper. I'm not against dropshipping at all. I just think there's so many people trying to dropship the same set of, you know, bamboo phone holders or chargers or whatever on on Amazon. And it's, everybody's doing it and there's no margins in it. Whereas. It must be very temporary, that market as well. I can't mm. imagine that's going to be your next 10 years. It's I mean, very volatile. Very, yeah. very much so. I mean, we've. They pick we've, up,
1: they drop it. Yeah.
0: yeah. We've got a client that uses eBay and Amazon a lot. And um, there was an algorithm change and one more competitor in the market. And their eBay sales dropped by 40% Ooh, wow. pretty much overnight. <laughs> and they haven't sprung back up after about six months. So it's you're that reliant on another platform. Um, fortunately, their web sales have almost doubled per month so far this year through a lot of work we've done, new Magento site, you know. It's, but it, it, it's that scary, I think. Let, let's lead into customers of bit because I feel like this is on the same topic as the, the trust and the intent. Mm-hmm. This is a really difficult question, so you don't have to answer them. I'm interested to see what you think. How would you describe your customer? This is a completely open-ended question. How would you describe a deliciously guilt-free customer. Oh,
1: that's a good question. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you where I get this data from. Firstly, cool. so um, Data's good. and then yeah, because I mean you could you could guess and then you'd be shocked sometimes. But look at the data, how wrong you can be. We get most of our data from certainly just Shopify itself. So most people who sign up on there, you can tell very basic things. So in terms of the age um, sort of breakdown, um, in fact, no, I will start with gender first. Vast majority female. And in all honesty, that's been one of my biggest worries because being a man running this business, even though my wife was very much involved at the beginning, she was coming to the end of her PhD in December this year. So she's been completely out of action. So it's been me running it. And I've always thought how do i talk to like you know a very female based uh, you know like clientele and i thought hang on a minute just be myself like be honest and be me people don't necessarily relate to you're a woman i'm a woman you're a man i'm a man do they of course not they relate to people so i i just tried to be honest and authentic and that's why one of the places that i learn a lot about my customers is in my facebook group because i feel like it's like a village really i feel like we are all in there together now I, I I hate it when on a podcast, somebody turns up and they say, Oh, I've got it all perfectly worked out and it's great. And I, I want to talk about a real kind of fa- not failure, but when it, it didn't go so well. So my Facebook group now is, is really picking up, but for probably about four months this year until last month, it was really dying. And I was like, what is going wrong? Like, what am I doing? My Facebook group is so bad. And I realized it's a very easy habit to fall into. Instead of actually making it a dialogue, like we're just talking about best practice, it became just because of busyness, it became a bit of a broadcasting place for me to go into and say, Oh, you know, got this flavor coming out, boom. Um, oh, on Friday the flavors of three stock are oh, boom. Um, oh, I'm on this podcast, boom. Oh, did you know I've got this podcast out about this, boom. And I was like, Oh yeah, no wonder, it's boring. Like, who would want to be part of that group? And I've really worked now. So I do a live every Wednesday and I've got a big fortune with a load of deals on it I spin it and I give it only exclusively to that group and I say you know I'm going to have a separate web page for that group with with a few extra things on there and a few discounts and stuff so it's literally like building like a little club which is quite cool. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a membership. That's what I want. Yeah. So that they feel like they belong to us and we belong to them and they're going to get the exclu- well they do get exclusive deals now, but they're going to get those, you know, like extra products we're bringing out or things we're trying and only they can have access to. And I want to nurture that and give them a yeah, we give them something they give us something. So so what I've learned from there is they're mostly female. There's a huge range of reasons why people buy. So, you know, there there's different categories. So some people are trying to be slightly healthier they might want to lose weight. So, some people are starting keto and low carb as a diet very much from that basis. And they may be starting, they're asking questions about the diet. And so, I might say to them, Well, I've got a podcast where actually a GP came on and he told me all about that. Or uh, this surgeon came on and she told me all about this, you know, and I, I kind of direct them that way. Some people come on there and they might be diabetic. And so we've got a really good connection with a forum called diabetes.co.uk. And it's a forum made up of hundreds of thousands of diabetic people around the country. And they, they have their own, like, they recommend us to people all the time. So we send people to them to get help they need. And then they send people to us through recommendations of trying our cakes. So that's a really nice relationship we've built up there. Some people on there, you know, they may have cancer. And so they're trying to... Uh, you know, make sure the cancer doesn't grow because, of course, cancer eats sugar. That's the one, of the main, one of the main reasons that cancer is spread is by sugar eating, which a lot of people don't realize. But when you've got cancer, that's quite serious. So there are all these different demographics. And in terms of the price point, that for me is a really, really big deal because, I, I mean, it must be lovely having a brand where you're so expensive. You can sell one thing a day or one thing a week, and that's your like profit margin worked out for the week. But for us, I'm always trying to make this very specialist cake, which is handmade. I'm trying to make it as affordable as possible to as many people as possible. But at the same time, I mean, if you looked at like a pie chart comparing a normal brownie in a shop and how much profit is on that, it's ridiculous. You're paying like, you know, 80% profit towards the manufacturer or the person selling it or both. Whereas with our product, we're trying to get the profit margin to be reasonable to make a living, but I'm trying to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Because I honestly think what I'm trying to do is actually a service. It's like trying to say to people, and it, it may sound like, yeah, it's a cake, Dan, get over yourself. But in all seriousness, when you when you get told by your doctor or someone, that's it, you've got type 2 diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, whatever the condition is, give up sugar, that's it. And you just want something sweet and you want to be normal like other people. You want to just go to a birthday party and have something to eat or not have to have that weird conversation with someone about I can't eat your cake or whatever. You know, wherever it might be, we're basically helping people through those awkward situations or giving them a little bit of just relief and normality. And I think that's a good thing, and I want as many people as possible to be able to access that. So generally, when it comes to the economic demographic, they're fairly well spread out. And we do have slightly more expensive products now, and we have slightly cheaper ones. And we're going to have like a bit of a tiering where it's a bit more accessible to everyone there. So there'll be more slightly more simple things for those who can't afford so much and slightly more complicated complex things for those who can but even then you're talking about four to five pounds difference between the the products It's not it's not huge but it's just trying to give a bit more scope for everyone does that answer your question nick it does it does indeed i think one of the reasons i asked is that um if you had just said
0: oh it's this kind of person uh, my next question would have been well does that break down into groups obviously knowing full well it does you know it's, it, there's definitely Certainly when you're looking at customers, you need to put them into different kind of with email, you would call it segmentation. Yeah. And I think understanding the different customer groups is really important. We we talk a lot about data internally and on the podcast here. I think data is absolutely critical because if you haven't got any data yet, as in you haven't sold any products, you don't have any customers or you've had a few sales, but no one's bought a second product yet. It's really difficult to make some decisions and so i think certainly with a more kind of early stage startup business um especially a shopify store i would highly recommend just get some sales in have a what i would call a pilot campaign a pilot testing phase just get some customers in have a conversation with them you know go and deliver their products if they're local yourself and at the door asking can i ask you some questions i actually run the business we've only launched recently and we're based up the road oh yeah especially if you're local oh yeah i'd love to you know what what do you want to know and why did you buy the product? What was it about this product that excited you? You know, if it's a bit of furniture, would you like me to come and assemble it? That's brilliant. I love that.
1: Yeah. Shopify store owner said that to me a few months ago. It's quite interesting. I think that being in the e-commerce space that you generally think, you know, you go to your like well-established things, don't you? you think mm. like SEO, email, Facebook marketing, top of Google, uh, website, Spencer whatever it is, PPC, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's like some very set routes we go down. And what I'm realizing more and more, actually, it's funny this came up because I was only talking to a counselor from Cambridge, council today about having a pitch now in the center of cambridge now we're a national company but i was like you know what i want to have a pitch there and do something very different take my camera take all my kind of you know like banners and whatnot for the business hand out stuff for free and get the reactions videoed on camera and then boom you got a video you put out on facebook or whatever i was like I should be doing that stuff. That seems so obvious to me. If I had a local business, I'd be doing that straight away. Also, I'm going to make a newsletter now, an actual physical one, because even though I email, I'm emailing like three times a week now, I'm really ramping up my email campaigns. I'm doing the Facebook PPC. I'm doing all that stuff. But actually, I'm now thinking. You know what? Doing great on SEO as well. Just to... well, I've got a great company working for me, Nick. Um, I thought Oh, oh that's but... so kind of you. <laughs> no, it's not you guys. No, I'm joking. Um, well, so yeah, so... at one point <laughs> it is now. So yeah, so basically, I'm now thinking about actually making a physical newsletter, which actually is well printed, because I thought you know what, and actually making it personal. So talking to the person about our story and what we're doing and our, you know, and actually bring them in that way too. Something that actually people want to keep. And that's why we're also working with a graphic designer for a beautiful thank you card. One that you'd actually want to look at, not just a piece of corporate nonsense saying, thank you, but actually like a beautiful picture on there. And it's about a lifestyle that they might actually look at and go, oh, yeah, that's nice. That's she got free And it's all those little touch points I'm thinking now I want to broaden out what we're doing and not just literally just email and just Facebook and just the, because, you know what, what makes you different from everyone else? And I think, you know, just those touch points are so important to get across to different demographics as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just on the note of data, I think sometimes
0: you can, like I use this phrase a lot, the data tells you what's happened, but it doesn't tell you why.
1: Yeah. And I think
0: the the example of that that guy going to actually set up some furniture somebody had bought locally, et cetera, he just absolutely nailed it. He said, the one thing I want to know. <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally.
1: Um, <laughs> You're so smooth, Nick. You're so smooth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he wanted, I mean, he wanted to know why was the customer buying this product what was it about this product that took their attention anyway? And most importantly, he then got there and was like, what thing are you using this product for? Thinking it was a desk and they were going to use it for a desk. And she was like, no, no, I loved the look of it. I'm just going to put a pot plant on top of it. It's going to stay in my hallway. And he was like, wow. I had no idea. So then he spoke to a few other customers and he's now got the same product range in two different parts of his Shopify store. One in hallway tables wow. and one in what he thinks was desks, home office desks. It's the same product. Um, Some of them have drawers, some don't. But it's the fact that somebody, what they actually wanted was the teak wood that it's made out of. They love the colour of teak really nice uh, really really nice material
1: because actually it, it says something to their visitors now that lockdown's ending that they come in they see your house and go oh that's a beautiful piece of furniture and it reflects on the person who owns it and the, the environment i mean you know we're human we're not robot and all these things we're not just i think we miss the point sometimes thinking think we're just functional and actually we're not there's many different reasons motivations but i think
0: the other the other interesting thing that you've just touched on actually is other people coming into their house He also told me, and this wasn't on a podcast, by the way, so I can't flag post it or signpost it, I'm afraid. But he also said that being in their house, he said one of the reasons he went was also because it's on that end of town. He's always wanted to know somebody who lives up there. Lovely houses. And he went in and obviously he's got a slightly luxury item. He went in and also glanced around at all the other furniture and it smells really nice in this room. It smells really, really fresh. They've got a diffuser, the windows are open, even though it's not the warmest day. Okay, well, that's the photography we're going for on the site now. So they then started (laughs) to adapt the photography to show really light rooms, clearly like fresh air, sunny day, sun's blaring in from a lovely big, almost like, you know, they get these like glass walls at the back of houses in the UK that are really popular and you can open the doors all the way from one side to the next. You're basically missing a wall. He was like, we're only going to do photography on stuff like that now. And every table, even if you find it in the home office section, there'll be one lifestyle image of it in a nice leather-bound book study or whatever. And then we'll have another image of it in a completely different room. Right. To, again, show that it's a multi-purpose table. And I said to him, like, it's a really good way of selling tables. He said, no, no, Nick, we're not selling tables anymore. We're improving people's lives. Yeah, that's She's exactly, exactly what you just said about the the features tell, the benefits sell. Yeah, what I was always yeah. taught at sales training. And so I think, going back to customers, how much have you guys then adapted like copy on the website photography etc to try and capture into your audience or have you kept it very very focused on the products like you're buying this brownie and because your customers are actually quite worried about diets and what they can and can't eat like which way have you gone and, and kind of how, how do you find that balance
1: yes there's a lot to say on this there's um been ups and there's also been downs unfortunately like most things in life i suppose hmm. so what I'm doing now, what I've kind of realized is... Learnings and successes. Is what we yeah, call yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's the times when you think, oh, that didn't work out like I thought it would. That was a brilliant idea. Then there's other ideas. Mm. You go, that's never going to fly. They they want more. What? Um, so what I'm doing at the moment is I'm actually using surveys. So I've got a survey platform I start, I just signed up to. And I, I really i am following this advice at the moment, which I think will be good in a few months from now, but it's very early days yet, of trying to survey the current customer base we have. So our email list is about 8,000 on the newsletter subscriptions. So there's quite a lot of data we can get there from people. And so I'm actually sending out surveys to find out what they want, et cetera, but also what problems they have. So I'm going to ask them that question, you know, like, when it comes to low-carb diets and, and lifestyle, what is do you miss the most? And it seems to be, for instance, I don't think this is a, a big giveaway, that bread is a massive problem for most people. And we've been told so many times by people, can you just make bread and then we'll buy everything from you instead of having to go to different companies. So we've learned that from the surveys. But what I'm doing is, and this is a bit I think is quite clever, and I actually take quite often now, and this is what I'm going to be doing the next few weeks, is taking the copy from the customer. So we actually just made a video from customers doing their reviews of our products, but also take the copy from customers and use their language in the emails. So it just kind of has that authenticity a bit more that we're using the same way of talking that people do. And that and the surveys help with that at no end because it's it, it's kind of reading it like a real person. Like The problem I have, Nick, if I'm honest, well, you might you know me a little bit. You might say there's quite a few problems I have, but but one of the problems I have is that I can be a little bit formal and a bit too formulaic. And I think I've learned that actually in this business, it's about talking to your friends more than it is than talking to an official person. So I kind of I've learned I'm learning that now how my customers communicate with me is probably quite a good basis of how I should communicate back to them. I love the fact you've used that as an example. And the
0: reason I say this is i've refreshed a document we've got internally here at spec which is my consultancy in in london and it applies to parker as well where we've called it the only way is spec which is a slight twist on the tv series only way is essex um here in the uk which i highly don't recommend (laughs) um but um but the yeah the, the whole point of that is actually how do we do stuff as a business how do we communicate how do we set the right expectations with our clients and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things we've written in there, which is exactly what you've just said, is it actually on the topic of emailing and general communication is to find a balance between the way that we know communication works best here at spec from our experience and from trying new communication methods, et cetera, a balance between the spec way and the way customers or our clients in our scenario talk to us. So if we get very short, snappy, one word emails from our clients, Where is my report? Are things going well? When are we speaking? You know, those are three different email examples. Um, Then we we should still keep in part of our ethos, which is always to build a rapport and understand our clients, fully understand their goals, regularly ask questions on what's changing, what's going on, et cetera. Balancing wanting to ask all of that with actually keeping things really, really short and snappy. Other clients that like to send us enormous emails with loads of great context and data and detail... We try and tone it down a bit because we also have a policy of don't email an essay, but try and copy the fact that they do like a lot of data in an email. But have they used bold headings and lists and not wanting to overanalyze stuff, but just a very quick don't send essays to someone that wants to talk in short, sharp language and vice versa. So I think your customers, Dan, if I was to take an absolute stab in the dark, I would say a lot of them are very, very critical over numbers and how many calories have I consumed? How much sugar have I had? based on the conditions you've mentioned. Yeah. So actually getting a nice design for a sort of food label type approach or a table of data, these are our lowest carb five cakes, top five cakes for lowest carbs, et cetera. That on an email, I imagine, was probably quite a good point with some numbers alongside if that's what you found from your focus groups. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. You're right. So they're coming at it from that point of view, but however, I would also say they also want to just be normal people enjoying cake. And that's the, that's the fine balance, isn't it? And so, you know, what I've realized is a really beautiful way to sell anything, uh, it's not just selling, it's just it's just communication really is kind of fact and experience you know and that's what we're doing so we we they do come first for the numbers and they do you know these people and i love them for it will say to us your label i want to just check something there because on the website you said this can i just check your claim when your label matches that and you know we get those sort of questions which if you're buying a an energy bath even if you're going to the gym or whatever you might not even care really but these people have to know that but also there's a really fun side because you know i'm making something taste tastes good and it's a lovely experience and i think there's that kind of also the side of it, I can do the numbers actually better than I can do the emotive chit chat with people sometimes through written word, anyway. Because, I, and I think I'm learning that's also something I must incorporate the experience of eating them and saying this just tastes like the real thing, but it's like my blood sugar's perfect nothing's happened what's happened this is amazing you know that that conversation is wonderful to kind of give the experience but also the numbers and actually when you say also to like listen to your customers there's there's a real success story i'd like to share if i may nick and that was one of our customers carla so she lost six stone doing the keto low carb diet that's a lot of stones yeah yeah it's amazing (laughs) for anyone in europe how many kilograms is that just to test your maths yeah we can um well i'll tell you what, if you hear clicking and tapping quickly that might be nick six looking at up but uh, it's 14 pounds it's 14 pounds of stone so if you're in the states 38 kilograms 38 kilograms what's six times 14 because that would be the equivalent of pounds for the american audience uh that will be or we could look at six stone in here's me live googling on the podcast <laughs> Eight, 84 <laughs> pounds six stone is 84 pounds 84 pounds yeah so she lost that much weight within, I think, about six months or so, maybe maybe a little bit longer. And she was eating our our cakes every day as a dessert, as a treat, or or if not a dessert, she might put them in a handbag and take them out with her as a snack to eat, you know, on the bus or whatever. Um, and so the Daily Mail, a, a paper in this country, featured her story. And uh, she contacted us because we we kind of knew her already. So we were chatting to her through the Facebook group and everything. And uh, she said, you're the only brand that I'm going to mention by name in my food plan. I'm not going to say that I had like an omelet or something, or I had, you know, this, that and the other, but you're the only brand I'm mentioning because you helped me get through that without you I'd never have got through it. And so then Bella magazine picked up as well. uh, The fact that she named this particular product of ours, a salted caramel blondie and how she lost six stone eating it and how happy she was. So then we were like, okay, I said to her, I had a phone call with her and I said, well, come on the podcast, share your story. That's going to happen soon. I said, but also I want to do something for you. So then we brought out, based on her favorite flavor, we then brought out Carla's Caramel Crunch as a as a new flavor with like a chocolate cookie base to it and a salted caramel top. And I said, that's your flavor as a dedication to what you've done. And it was like, that was a lovely thing where it kind of, it goes in the full cycle, you know, like, and we sent free cakes to her cause it's named after her. So it's her thing. And as a thank you for, for featuring us like that in those publications, which got us loads and loads of, of customers coming through the door. So, you know, it's that lovely thing of, yeah, we helped you and we want to give you this and you're giving us this opportunity. And and when, a, when you talk about a brand that you like, if you think about it, you don't do that unless you really love them because brands are so easy to just forget and move on, aren't they? They just provide a service or a product and yeah, I've had that now. What next? But if you're going to recommend someone, you have to really care about them. And I thought I really love that, that relationship we have with Carla now that we can bring out a flavor in her honor. And, you know, she's had a great success story and she'll come on my podcast and share it and inspire other people to hopefully lose weight and sort out of their metabolic health. And that's what it's all about, really. It's about helping them become healthier.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think
1: it's a really, really interesting point.
0: Let's go down one more road. I was going to talk more about customers, but I think let's go down one more road. And it sounds like Carla's almost a a kind of influencer for you guys now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. She's certainly become
0: one. Yeah. 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 And I think there's so many companies we talk to who are like, right, go and find us some influencers. We want to work with them. And we're always kind of like, oh, if only it was that easy.
1: <laughs> you know? yeah.
0: Sign a check and we'll come back with the results. This, this is not Google traffic. This is you need to build a relationship. If, if you can, you need to make a positive difference to their lives first. A good friend of mine who's a YouTuber, he's currently endorsing a, a shoe brand that I, I also endorse called Tropic Feel. Um, I'm actually wearing their shoes right now, okay.
1: made from recycled bottles. Oh, God, and... don't say this again, because last time you did this, my Facebook feed was full of adverts for that company. <laughs> no, I think I looked them up to say, what's this trainer? I think you had two pairs of trainers set at one time. That was so it. Looked,
0: that was the I dual looked, pair of trainers.
1: Well yeah, I looked I look, I look them up online to think, oh, what's the, Nick's a trendsetter. He's my influencer. So I, whatever Nick's into, I'm into. I, I looked at them once. That was it. And then all day, and I think for the next week, I only got adverts for that company. I'm sure they're great. But uh, they are anyway. great, I'm afraid. But yes,
0: yeah, so he's in a campaign with them at the moment. And I I know him full well that he doesn't do any what he would call commercial campaigns. Like it's it's organic. He he likes them because he's been wearing their products for years anyway, because he likes their products. He reached out to them, not vice versa, which I also thought was another interesting point. When you look at actually the influencer world and how non-transactional it is. And I think that's a really important point to make is that these are people, not businesses. Yes. And I've done talks at quite a few influencer conferences all over the world, mostly through sort of two or three different little organizations I know. And my talks used to consist of like how to help bloggers get to number one for SEO. Now they don't. Now they often talk about how bloggers can do business Interesting. and how they can like pitch ideas and stuff. Cause that seems to be a bigger topic now that Google's becoming more advanced. Actually the, the content for them is getting the best trips to go on to talk about why you should visit Santorino and the top 10 restaurants to find there, etc. So question about influencers then. Carly's obviously an interesting one. Have you looked into the influencer world anymore? If not, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think it's something you guys want to get more into? What would the approach be? Et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we do have somebody else we've worked with in the past as well. The problem is they started, I won't mention their name because it'd be a bit unfair, but they started then charging for their influence, which is absolutely fine. But when, when you do that, I think it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you think, well, now does it look like I'm paying them for a good piece of feedback and if it does does that kind of tarnish what I'm doing here especially when yeah. we've had people this this kind of got our fingers burnt a little bit but people approach us who have said hi I'm a I'm a blogger well that annoys me firstly because if they haven't got a website they're not a blogger you know they are on Instagram posting stuff where is the blog Yeah exactly like I'm <laughs> looking for SEO backcounts yeah. here let's be honest there's a practical side of marketing
0: I'm a mechanic
1: who doesn't have any cars Yeah like, yeah yeah, you yeah, you yeah just... exactly I'm a mechanic and I have got a dream one day to have a like, well, that's great for you. But, you know, so they say I'm a blogger on. Can I learn yeah, on your yeah. car? Yeah, can I have a free car, please? <laughs> no, you no. can't. So they kind of come to you with those sorts of, you know, stories, and then they say, "Oh yeah, um, I'm on Instagram." Oh, okay, then that's your Instagram following, five hundred people. What the hell's this? Like your mum and dad and a few other people, whatever. Yeah. And that really annoys me. And then, and it's not about audience, but you need something, don't you? You need something, like, and the, the engagements low. We want you to influence
0: you know. your audience. So If you
1: haven't got an audience, who are you going to be influencing? Or it's a massive audience, and it turns out there's no engagement on any of the posts, which tells me they're probably bots. So you know, you're kind of a bit wary of that. But then sometimes we've even sent stuff to people who are just on the way up and we don't pay them anything because I actually prefer sending stuff for free to say, look, try it. If you hate it, be honest and tell me. If you love it, wish you will then just be honest about that too. I'd rather not pay for it though. I'd rather just give you free stuff and then see what you think. And that's the like, like Carly building the relationship. Yeah, exactly. it? it's real then, you know, it's like it, they, they do like you or they don't like you, but at least it's on fair terms. Anyway, then <laughs> they kind of do the promotions tab uh, and they try and make out I've paid them because they want to look like they're more of an influencer who gets paid for their opinion. And I think, well, that's kind of backfiring what I want because I'm not paying you. So now it looks like it's not genuine. Probably comes down to the agreement that doesn't yeah. it it's probably more a case of going
0: okay we're going to work with these guys or this this influencer or whatever um yeah let's have a conversation work out the best agreement what you know sort of who, who wants to sort of show their cards first you know are we going to offer them some money are they going to offer that they want to do it for free or or how's this going to fit together?
1: I think so. I think that's a good idea if you like work out where you stand. So in all honesty, it's something that we want to do properly, I think from now on in, because I think, you know, people have always said this and I always went, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, this whole argument of you can't trust Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever platform you're talking about, Mm. because really... The audience there belongs to that platform, and they can change that algorithm overnight. Well, isn't that the truth? In the last nine months, you know, like the way that's been with Facebook and, and Apple, and that dispute has been unbelievable. So, you know, things do change rapidly, and I do think you know influencers are a good way to influence people and in get them to buy from you. And it's another avenue which I think we need to look down. But we did actually have a really stupid situation. Actually, it's kind of actually ties to this podcast bizarrely. So I went to an event in London and I met Caroline, uh, who's on the show before. And, uh, and then that afternoon, we got a call from a nutritionist who, no, dietitian actually, who said, I work with, um, Olly he, um, his birthday's coming up. I want to get him some of your cakes cause he's going to try low carb. And I was like, oh my word, this is massive. This is a few years ago now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we sent the cakes in. Uh, we got like a lovely personal message via the dietitian from Ollie Mers to say how much he loved it and in particular, which flavor he loved and why he loved it. And I was just like over the moon about this thinking this is the best thing ever. Ollie Mers likes our product. Wow. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't know who he was at first yeah. cause I'm not cool, but you know, when I found out he's quite big, I was like, we could get a lot out of this. And Alice, <laughs> Alice Levine as well from radio one, she's like, you know, tried our stuff. Yeah, yeah. She, she actually put some stuff on her Instagram about us from Ollie Mers, On the other hand, we got absolutely nothing. And it's because I kind of didn't know what to say. And I was really like, especially At least then, we're not name and shaming him in public. No, no, he's so a great it? guy. He's a great guy. But he <laughs> didn't do any posts or anything. And I didn't ask him to. And I thought, what I'm a missed opportunity. I kind of assumed that the fact he liked it would just be out there in the ether and somebody would find out. But I never actually said to him, would you mind doing a post for us? Or could you please? You know, I just didn't ask. I just yeah. didn't. And again, I wonder how much
0: that comes down to then the relationship. So like the, yeah, yeah is it? is it is it worth having that conversation or asking yeah we we'd love to do that you know where, where does this lead like you know would he be willing to give us a quote or could i could i write a quote and get him to sign it off so i can put it on the website
1: with his face or but i think i would now though i think that then is different i think and i'd advise people in this situation now if that happened and i was listening to this i'd say look work out before you send that box or two what are the terms of this? And if there is no terms and it's literally just a gift to that person and you're going to get nothing back, I don't think that actually we even charged him, you know, we just gave them to him. But if you're going to charge for the box and send it to them, that's fine if that's what you agreed to. Yeah, you could always reply and say like, oh yeah,
0: our premium box cost this. Yeah. <laughs> and it will be gift yeah. wrapped and all the rest of it. Yeah. You? Would you like
1: that one? Yeah, you could do anything. But I think just know what you want out of it. Like get your, get your goal worked out and work backwards on that and think, okay, what's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? Like which one do I really want to go for? And, you know, and I, just, I would have just been a bit more confident on that. So moving forward, the lesson I've learned is that I, I really want to develop our, you know, influencer relationship in a genuine way and actually build that hype over time. And that's what I'm definitely interested in doing. And
0: I always think less is more. I think if you just get that one, that sort of Carly with a bigger following, yeah. you've nailed it. And that will probably bring you a lot more fruit than 500 small ones, which would be a nightmare to manage. And, you know, you just need one of them to go wrong and they all stop working with you. And the whole time you could have been spending time doing SEO copy that would drive more customers. And I think, as, as we were saying earlier, you know, the commercials of this stuff is, is really, really important. You know, I don't want to shy away from that at all. But equally... You know, you yeah, you you need to make some money from this. I think it's it's about so sort
1: of balancing the two. If you don't mind me saying, Nick, I think one of your strengths—and this is a bit awkward now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Fifty-one minutes win. Let's see if people are still listening. But I'd say one of your strengths is probably systems, right? that you're yeah would you say you're very good at making a system for something to work processes systems yeah it's automation it's how we it's how we function as a business see i find that that's not one of my strengths although i quite like it when it's in place and so i have heard about you missing calls and stuff okay Um. let's move on so uh yeah that has happened exactly that's exactly what i mean like
0: one of my team dared me to say that on the podcast by the way yeah well i'm gonna name those team members
1: now and you should fire them because no no they're They're great, they're going nowhere, absolutely nowhere. (laughs) But no, but in all seriousness, I think, you know, that is one thing that's really important with this. Like, if you're going to go into influencer marketing or whatever having a proper process and system, which is what I can learn. This is actually, I did talk to um, Georgia and your team. And I said, like, help me with processes because, you know, like if you, if you, I know it's not exactly what you're doing for me, but if it's what your company is kind of renowned for doing, then I could definitely learn from that because the process, like the way I look at it, a process or, you know, um, that sort of procedure, it does the work for you and it saves you the time and the effort and it makes it simple. And that's what I think I need to learn. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Well as you say we've hit 51 minutes which is quite a long podcast for us but as as I always say we aim for 20 and we finish before the hour. <laughs> that's, that's always the aim. So. Oh my word sorry. Um, no, no, yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's, it's all I've really got, really good
1: stuff. And, I've got um, 20 points here to cover yet. I mean sit comfortably <laughs> everyone. I'm gonna be here till Friday. <laughs> oh, before everyone tunes out that was a joke. Um, but the yes
0: yeah, <laughs> su- sarcasm in, in the UK is our medicine I would say. But um yeah, Dan it's been so great to have you back always a pleasure And I think it gets to say so many good points so many learnings and and also great to hear how much of the journey's changed in I think it's probably seven maybe seven nearly eight months we've had uh, between between last time we had you on and and today so just yeah massive thanks from me and the team here for,
1: for joining us again today yeah cheers Nick it's lovely coming back and um yeah I wish you all the best of the show I see by the way I'm sure you know you're in the top one percent mm. of podcasts globally now I
0: I did know that because this morning I googled what are the top Shopify podcasts yeah. and we were third on several different websites and I thought... Well, that that deserves an extra baguette this morning
1: for uh, for breakfast. Or a you know? healthy cake. So um... <laughs> actually, I don't know if you know this. We're waiting until you're on honeymoon until I send the cakes in because your team say I've heard. Apparently, they're not going to be able to get their hands on them otherwise. That's a bit harsh, I know, but um, so we're going to have to wait until you're away. Sorry about that, mate.
0: Yeah, we had a crate of sweets delivered by another agency up the road from us um, the other day. So we're you're, you're doing all right. No, then. we're not out of sugar, <laughs> but um, yeah, just send a, just send a mini box when I'm back. Okay, all right. Well, so I can do. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. And. Um, everybody else listening one final quick shout out and i deliberately left this to the end because i want the more engaged listeners to hear this announcement because it's potentially quite good for you guys you may have heard in our intro we've relaunched our winning with shopify.com website And on that website, we've got two things. One is about sponsorship, if you're interested in that. I have to say we're slightly overwhelmed with sponsors at the moment, so trying to work out what we're going to do with that over the next few months. Um, But the second thing that's really important is I'm always on the lookout for good guests. So we're going to start a bit more of an application process, a bit of a qualifying process to get guests as good as Jared last week and Dan this week. So if you're interested in coming on the show, please go on the website, fill out the form and just say, I've got a story I want to share, or I've been listening to this particular episode and would love to comment on that regardless of whether you're a Shopify business or agency slash supplier side, we'd love to have a conversation, talk about getting you on. So as always, thanks for listening. Hope to hear from you all soon. There won't be an episode next week, but we'll be back the week after. Stay safe and over and out from me. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook
1: group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.